on today's Padone, my take, the Cleveland Browns. Yeah, they're still alive in that NFL postseason. We're going to break down the Cleveland Browns playoff win over those rivaled Pittsburgh Steelers. We're going to get into that. We're going to get into previewing the Chiefs because that's the game that's on deck now. That's right, mid-January in Cleveland, Ohio, and the Cleveland Browns are still playing football games. We're going to get into some NBA talk. Cavs make a trade. James Harden on the move from Houston to Brooklyn. Huge trade that just broke today on Wednesday. Get into some Frankie Lindor stuff, not too much, but give you all my takes on all the trends around the world of sports. Super fun show for you guys today. But first, Dugout Mugs, you know my guys at Dugout Mugs are always trying to hook you up, and there's no better way than to ring in the new year with some brand new mugs. Dugout Mugs are ready to make your new year a good one. 2020 was a year that we're never going to forget anytime soon. Treat yourself with a real baseball bat, hollowed out and turned into the perfect off-season beer mug. The Cleveland Indians aren't going to be the Cleveland Indians for very much longer. They're going to look different both on and off the field. So stock up with those Dugout Mugs today. Support a great small business by visiting dugoutmugs.com slash bigplay to view their entire tribe collection today. That's dugoutmugs.com slash big play. Without further ado, let's do it. Alrighty, welcome on in Padone, my take, streaming live on BigPlay.com. My name is Nick Padone, hanging out with you guys for the next hour. Two words, two words really to start off this show. Corvette, Corvette. Corvette, Corvette. Huh? How about that? Juju Smith-Schuster, thank you. If I were to give anyone a game ball this week, it would be Juju. It would be those Steelers because they gave the Browns all the motivation in the world. And if you don't think bulletin board material is a thing now in 2021, after you saw the Buckeyes beat Clemson, after you see the Browns beat Pittsburgh twice, after all the bulletin board material between those two games, hello, that's why you don't talk and you perform on the field. I said the Browns were playing with house money, and they were. I thought, you know, Baker Mayfield had all the excuses in the world if that game on Sunday didn't go the way that the Browns intended it or hoped that it would go. And boy, they took that house money and they cashed out. This offseason and beyond now, you're not just talking about picking up Baker Mayfield's fifth-year option. Baker Mayfield beat Big Ben and the Pittsburgh Steelers at full strength in Heinz Field on their home turf. Super exciting stuff. Baker's going to get paid because he took that house money right to the bank and cashed out in that win. That game to me, though, obviously it's huge whenever you win a playoff game, no matter who it's against. The Browns could have been against, you know, Buffalo or the Ravens or Miami, the Colts, whoever in that first round. And it still would have been cool because the Cleveland Browns haven't won a playoff game in how long. They haven't made the playoffs in this long. So to win that game was extra super meaningful. But to do it against Big Brother, to beat the Pittsburgh Steelers, 
was what really moved the needle for me on Sunday. And it was really a passing of the torch type of game. And that's what I wanted to talk about. Even if Big Ben doesn't retire, the AFC North is a completely different division just based off of that win. The Steelers, regardless of Big Ben's decision to retire, I'm personally hoping that he doesn't call it based off of what we saw on Sunday Night Football. As a Brown supporter, I hope Big Ben comes back for the Steelers because they are not the same football team with him as they have been in the past, especially without a run game. The Pittsburgh Steelers are entering a rebuild period that we are so familiar with in Cleveland, Ohio. So many free agents on that defensive side of the football. You think Cam Sutton, Bud Dupree, Mike Hilton, all the defensive pieces could be on the move that are under the radar type of guys. But the big glaring issue, and we just talked about it, I just hinted at it, You need a quarterback at some point. I'm not led to believe that the Pittsburgh Steelers have their franchise quarterback on the roster after Big Ben. Is it Josh Dobbs? Well, if it is, why didn't you go for it with Josh Dobbs when it was, you know, fourth and one on the 42 and you punted? You brought out the punt unit. That was the ultimate waving the white flag maneuver by Mike Tomlin. And if it were me, I would have called out Josh Dobbs if I would have had faith in the young man. Obviously, no faith in him. Minimal faith in Mason Rudolph. He probably played his best career game against the Browns in a loss at First Energy Stadium a few weeks ago. But you need a quarterback, and there's no way to get one if you're Pittsburgh. We talk about it all the time throughout this entire two-week period that there is a $41 million cap hit if Big Ben decides to change his mind, hang it up, leave that last year on the contract. That's $41 million that's just left in limbo that the Pittsburgh Steelers will not be able to spend whether it be a free agent, whether it be a trade. You know, the big word on the block is Deshaun Watson wants out of Houston. And I see all these photoshops from Steelers fans of Watson and the ugly, you know, prison-striped yellow and black uniforms. Pittsburgh, that's not happening, fellas. Deshaun Watson makes the second biggest contract in the National Football League, and you're paying Big Ben Roethlisberger $41 million next year. Like, whether he hangs it up or not, you're not getting Deshaun Watson. The best bet if you're Pittsburgh is what? Sam Darnold, which you would have to trade draft picks for. And we're not here to talk about the Pittsburgh Steelers because they're not in the playoffs any longer, quite frankly, and the Cleveland Browns are. The last thing I wanted to talk about as it pertains to the Steelers, as it pertains to this being a passing the torch type of game, as it pertains to the AFC North, Say you were to take all four quarterbacks in the AFC North. You have Baker, you have Lamar, you have Burrow, and you have Ben. And you write each of their names on a hat, and you th- on a piece of paper, and you threw all those pieces of paper into a hat. And you jumbled around, and you have to pick one out. If you had to start a team, and you're jumbling it, and you pick out the one that says Big Ben Roethlisberger... You would be disappointed as hell to see that's the name that comes out. That's just the point that the AFC North is now. You pull out Lamar Jackson, cool. You got a reigning MVP to build your team around. Even if he is debunked on his legs, the young man is special, and he's shown a bunch of really awesome things. If you pull out Burrow, he's young. He's coming off an injury. He was the number one overall pick for a reason. 
probably one of the best college quarterbacks of all time. If you pick out Baker, again, a young, promising quarterback in the AFC North, Big Ben is the worst out of all four of those options. There is dark days ahead at Heinz Field, and that's all I'm going to say about the Pittsburgh Steelers other than the fact that they are out of the playoffs and the Browns are in. It is still insane to me that Baker Mayfield went ahead and went out there and won a playoff game on the road. Just a few weeks ago, if we take a trip down memory lane here, people were saying that this guy hasn't done anything. They wanted his fifth year declined. They wanted Case Keenum in there. They wanted the Browns to pursue Dak Prescott, pursue trades for a different franchise quarterback. Boy, are those people dumb. Boy, are those people walking around with some egg on their face this week. Because Baker is the guy. And I feel so strongly about this topic. And I feel as if it doesn't get talked about enough. And it gets lost in so much fun that we had over the weekend with beating the Steelers. Is the Browns have a quarterback, guys. This this fun that we're harnessing and that we're having of playoff football in Cleveland, Ohio, playing meaningful games in mid-January, this could be the case with this head coach and with this quarterback for the next several years in this town, the next decade even. And that all, to me, feels like it got lost in translation. That just six or seven or eight weeks ago, there were people pounding their fist. Hell, I had to come on this show and pound my fist then say, hold up, hold up, hold up. Baker Mayfield needs to be the guy that makes this thing go. The Browns ain't in this spot without Baker Mayfield. You could, you know, give Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, all the credit that the world has to offer. But without Baker, this thing isn't happening. And there were people that wholeheartedly disagreed with me all the way up until yesterday. Until Sunday, we had people commenting Last week's show that the world was going to see that Baker Mayfield was a fraud. You could go back and tweet the show at Padone My Take. Tweet me at Nick Padone 12. That's something that was out there and happening at the time. One week ago. And I feel like that's all silent. And, and sure, you flick on ESPN in the morning and you don't get the national headlines that you get about Lamar Jackson, about Josh Allen. Those two are the ones that have all the media hype around them right now for the lack of a better term those are the nfl golden boys for these two weeks if you're a cleveland browns fan though i like that because this team has so far this season thrived under the notion of being an underdog that's kind of who baker mayfield has been throughout his whole career as well but even bigger picture that just sets up for even bigger and better things in the future yeah, you know, Baker had a great year after week seven this year. Say he goes out next year and picks off, picks up where he left off right now. And the Browns roll and Baker looks really good. You know, after week seven, he's the second best quarterback in the league next to Aaron Rodgers. Sit, put that together for a full season and you could see a Baker Mayfield MVP candidacy next year. So we're just in for so much fun in Cleveland, Ohio. And a lot of it is due to Baker Mayfield. I was on Big Play Reflog on Tuesday, which was yesterday as we're recording this, and I was saying that I'm t growing rapidly tired of the notion that the Browns need to run the football like 40, 45 times in order to win a football game. Now, we're going to get into the Kansas City Chiefs. I'm going to tell you why that actually might be a good idea for this coming week, 
But really, I feel like when fans do that, like, oh, where's Nick Chubb? Oh, where's Kareem Hunt? Why aren't we running those two? That's our identity. That's our team. Baker only needs to throw 20 times a game. Is it? Because to me, I've seen Kevin Stefanski do quite literally the opposite. I've seen Kevin Stefanski, Alex Van Pelt, after the Cincinnati Bengals game where Baker Mayfield threw five touchdowns in the second half alone, I saw a completely different Browns team that they trust Baker with his arm. They trust the training wheels to come out without Odell Beckham Jr. And we'll get into the Odell Beckham stuff, you know, as the season comes to a close throughout the draft. You guys aren't getting rid of me that easy. We're, those are going to be tough conversations that have have to be had when that time is right. But for now, could you imagine if Baker puts on a season like this is all I have to say. I think it could be a lot of fun. That was the most fun Browns game I've ever seen in my life because Baker threw the ball when he needed to. They ran Chubb and Hunt when they needed to. You know, I haven't seen any of this, thank goodness, and rightfully so. The Browns did look like a better team without Kevin Stefanski. I said last week that that could be the case. They could come out and play loose just because that's human nature when you don't have your boss standing over you, hovering over you in every move that you make. You just act looser. You act more natural. And I think that's what we saw the Browns do on Sunday night in Pittsburgh. But they really just did everything right. It was such a complete game of football offensively because the the game wasn't perfect. If you go back and rewatch that game like I have, there will be some moments throughout where your heart is like sinking in the middle of that third quarter where it's like, the Browns really could blow this after having a 28 to nothing lead after the first and even having a pretty decent lead after halftime. In order to beat the Kansas City Chiefs, the Browns need to play a damn near perfect game. They're a 10-point underdog for a reason. If you're a fan out there, tweet me at NickPadone12. Tweet the show at PadoneMyTake. Do you feel disrespected by that 10-point spread? I don't personally. A playoff game on the road in Arrowhead, which is a historically cold, hard place to play at come this time of year, against Patrick Mahomes and the Super Bowl reigning, you know, Chiefs, I don't think it's too disrespectful. The Chiefs are a damn good football team. And you could look through their scores this year, and they almost lost to the Carolina Panthers. They did lose to the uh, the Vegas Raiders. Atlanta had a good game against them that gave the roadmap of maybe how to beat the Kansas City Chiefs. They almost lost to Miami, where Patrick Mahomes looked like a turnover machine late in the season. That's what the Browns need to do, though. They need to make Patrick Mahomes turn the ball over. The Chiefs are all world. They're that good. How I was saying last week that the Steelers aren't unfallable. Well, neither are the Chiefs. The Chiefs are beatable. Teams have beat them this year, especially after coming off a two-week break. You know, they rest the starters against the L.A. Chargers in Week 17, and then the Week 1 bye, as they had the one seed in the AFC well locked up. There could be some rust for Kansas City as well. And if you're the Cleveland Browns, you need to capitalize on literally every opportunity that they give you. Talking heads, media, what have you, we'll talk about all week. And I've already heard it. The Browns need to win the turnover battle. They're 11-0 when they cause a turnover or force a turnover. But when they turn the ball over, things don't go that well. Guys, it's hard to make Patrick Mahomes 
you know, throw an interception. It's hard to get him down with a strip sack. He's a very good quarterback. He's beyond that, even though this is only really his, what, fourth true season in the league after winning a MVP and a Super Bowl. Here's what you do, though. Even if it's not turning the ball over, winning that field position game is imperative. And this comes down to Joe Woods because, geez, dude, I don't know what you were doing on Sunday in Heinz Field with that prevent defense, even up 28. You can't let the game get that close against the Chiefs. They will make you pay. Even if you're not causing four turnovers like we saw the Browns cause against the Pittsburgh Steelers on Sunday, as long as you get the Chiefs into, you know, third down situations and you could get them to punt the ball, you could get them, you know, backed up in their own territory, even if they get first downs, which they're going to, folks. That offense is legit. And we'll get into some of the numbers as we pr progress through the show. So stick with me because we have a great Chiefs-Browns breakdown as we progress. As long as they're not marching down into Browns territory, into that red zone, the slime zone as the Nickelodeon game called it, and they're not scoring touchdowns ballistically, at scoring touchdowns at will, the Browns will be in a good spot. And let's get into that because news this week, Kevin Stefanski should be back in Berea on Thursday. That's the big news. That's the bright spot. As well as today, Wednesday, Denzel Ward, Kevin Johnson, offensive line coach Bill Callahan, all activated from the team's COVID-19 reserve inactive list. Ward Johnson will play on Sunday, but with that offensive line unit starting left guard Michael Dunn to the IR right tackle Jack Conklin did not practice on Wednesday with that hamstring injury this is a game where you need Betonio back could be as early as tomorrow that he is activated off that COVID-19 list but it would be awesome to get him back in Berea for this game and have that offensive line at full strength against Chris Jones and that Chiefs pass rush. That's their strength. The same as the Browns D-line is their defensive strength. Same thing for the Chiefs, guys. And the Chiefs have Tyron Matthew. Sure, he's the defensive quarterback. Say what you want about that. I've seen Tyron Matthew get picked on a ton for the Chiefs this year. As many good plays that he's had and game-saving interceptions, we know what the Honey Badger is capable of. He's had boneheaded plays, blown coverages, defensive holdings. You name it, he's done it. The Browns need to neutralize him and not worry about him so much defensively and just do their own thing. Which one of these, in your opinion, is the biggest, you know, return for the Browns? Tweet the show at Padone My Take. I'm going with Denzel Ward's return being huge for that defense. We saw Robert Jackson just flat out struggle, guys. And Juju and uh Chase Claypool is mocking him on Twitter, you know, showing his game film on TikTok saying, Oh, he's a fish, like I got him with this move and I scared him. Listen here. Robert Jackson is an undrafted free agent practice squad player that was forced into a situation in a one-off year in a COVID-19 breakout pandemic situation. Robert Jackson had no business being in that game. We saw Prefer and Alex Van Pelt do well for Stefanski. We saw Blake Hans, the fourth, fifth string left guard, handle Stefan Tuitt fairly well. Cam Hayward in the middle of that defensive line. But Denzel Ward 
needs to have the biggest impact on Sunday, stepping back in for the undrafted free agent, Robert Jackson. I'm nervous about him coming off of COVID-19, especially with the Tyreek Hill factor. Tyreek Hill is a very good wide receiver. All of you know it. He's what he's capable of. But this is the perfect matchup for Denzel because Tyreek Hill is not at 100% either. He's a little bit banged up. It's a dream matchup for Ward. Both are, you know, a little bit smaller for their positions. Tyreek Hill is a speedster. He's not going to be super physical with you. He's not a go-up-and-grab-it-over-the-top type of guy. And that bodes perfectly for Denzel Ward, who's had a calf strain this year, who's had COVID-19 now. The fact that he could just participate in a track meet on defense with Tyreek Hill gives me faith that these DBs will be okay. And if Denzel Ward can do that, if he could stick to the hip of Tyreek Hill, I feel very good about the Browns defensively on Sunday against the Chiefs, as crazy as that sounds. The only player that scares me, obviously Patrick Mahomes. He's the leader of the whole crew. Clyde Edwards-Elaire, their running back, he's banged up. You know, the, the backup is Le'Veon Bell. His best days are behind him. The only guy that Browns fans need to be petrified, the only guy that I cannot sit in front of this camera and say, I am providing you with an answer of how to defend against him like I just did with Denzel and Tyreek Hill being a match made in heaven defensively is Travis Kelsey. I don't know how you slow down Travis Kelsey. I really do think Money Mitch can hold his own against Sammy Watkins, but this linebacking group, we need a big day out of B.J. Goodson, an even bigger day out of Jacob Phillips, because Travis Kelsey, Cleveland guy, we know that he's going to be out for blood against his hometown team. He's done it to us before in the past, and he's not afraid to do it again. Again, he's banged up as well. He hasn't played in two weeks either. If you could somehow find a way to neutralize the Travis Kelsey factor with your linebackers, with Carl Joseph maybe as your strong safety, you let Denzel Ward stick to the hip of Tyreek Hill, Browns could be in for a fun game on Sunday. Here's how you beat Kansas City, though. Here's my quick keys to the game segment. Even though we're not picking the scores right now, don't be nervous. Same rules apply. We don't pick the scores till the NFL whip around at the end of the show. Fear not. Here's how you beat Kansas City, though. Keys to the game. You let Denzel Ward stick to Tyreek Hill. Joe Woods, I know you've been exotic in your defensive coverages all year. It's done nothing besides go prevent and you get gashed in short distance yardage and then get blown coverages downfield that result in touchdowns. Don't do that. Don't try anything cute against the Kansas City Chiefs, Joe Woods, because as, as it looks right now, you are the deficiency of this team is the defensive coordinator. Play it as basic as it could humanly get. Play it like you're playing defense in a game of Madden where it's just good old man-to-man D. You let Denzel Ward stick to the hip of Tyreek Hill and you let your linebackers figure it out by committee against Travis Kelsey. That's my first key. The second key is you got to get pressure on Patrick Mahomes. News breaks today that right tackle Mitchell Schwartz, that's right, former Cleveland Brown Mitchell Schwartz, who's now the right tackle for the Kansas City Chiefs, will be inactive on Sunday for the divisional round of the playoffs against the Cleveland Browns at Arrowhead. Huge advantage for Adrian Claiborne and Miles Garrett. They need to get 
after Patrick Mahomes. That's going to be really fun to watch as well because if you could have a game where you're getting after Mahomes and you're making him throw bad decisions, we know what he's capable of with the sidearms, with everything else, but if you could sack him, if you could finish the play, again, we'll have some fun on Sunday. We already talked about the turnovers. We talked about capitalizing on field position, which in my opinion is going to be more important. Well, I shouldn't say more important. will be as important as the turnovers on Sunday. Those right there are your keys to the game. We'll get into some more as we progress throughout the show because the Browns have a big one. But really, should it be the Kansas City Chiefs who are worried? How do we slow down this Cleveland Browns offense? I just put the Chiefs up on the world's biggest pedestal. I just gave them all the credit that the world has to offer. But maybe the Chiefs should be worried. How do we slow down these Cleveland Browns? The Chiefs currently have the 16th ranked defense. The Cleveland Browns, well, they have the 17th ranked defense. So pretty evenly matched when it comes to that department. To put that in perspective, though, guys, the Pittsburgh Steelers, as far as footballdatabase.com, which ranks you know total offense, total defense, total special teams, the Steelers had the third ranked defense and the Browns hung up 48 points on them. Bet the over for this Kansas City versus Cleveland game. There's going to be a lot of points scored. When this Browns offense is at full strength, like it will be on Sunday, a healthy Nick Chubb, a violent Kareem Hunt, who's going to be looking for revenge against his former team. Baker Mayfield finally looks fully recovered from that shot to the ribs that he took earlier in the season, and he looks as good and accurate as ever. COVID, knock on wood here in the big play studio, has alleviated the Browns receiver room. They're all back. This offense, this defense even too, is at full strength. Possibly the fullest that we've seen since the opening kickoff this season. There's going to be a lot of points scored because these are two high-powered offenses. And if you're the Chiefs, if, if somebody in Kansas City you know, cracks the mic to do the Chiefs talk show radio in the morning in Missouri, they need to be talking about how do we slow down the Cleveland Browns on Sunday. So refreshing as a Browns fan. But seriously, guys, it's an important factor that's going to take place in this game because the Browns offense is back at full strength. Some interesting, interesting data comes out, though, about this game in as it pertains to the Browns and the Chiefs' offensive comparison this season, including the playoffs. Obviously, that benefits the Browns. The Chiefs haven't had a playoff game yet. This will be their first one due to that first-round bye. 40-point games. The Browns have had four this season. The Kansas City Chiefs have had one. Three touchdowns in a quarter. The Browns have done that five times this season. Five times the Browns have scored three touchdowns in just a quarter. The the Kansas City Chiefs have only done it once. 50-yard plays on the season. That big play probability. The Browns have done it four times. The Kansas City Chiefs have only done it twice. Guys, we're in for some real fun on Sunday. We're going to keep talking about the Kansas City Chiefs game. We got a big trade in the NBA. Frankie Lindor is not a member of the tribe any longer. Go vote on our Twitter poll, at Take. Who do you guys have on Sunday? Do you have the Browns? Do you have the Chiefs? Comment who, comment why. Go vote on that right now and stick with us. You're listening to Take on BigPlay.com.
Stick with us. Corvette, Corvette. Well, the Indians made a trade. I guess we need to address this. Obviously, the Cavs made some news today. The NBA made some news today. So we're going to get to all that because that's huge. That's a huge deal as it pertains to the Cavs. But arguably even bigger, the Indians finally did it. They traded away Frankie Lindor. They traded away Cookie Carrasco to the New York Mets. I didn't even want to talk about that too much tonight because one, not only is it a gigantic downer and it just poops on everything that the entire show offers and what my entire show is about, about uniting Cleveland, uniting our fans together. And, and the Lindor topic does nothing but separate people. And, and that's not what I'm trying to do tonight. I just think it's so obviously, you know, everyone thinks that it's so upsetting that the Indians can't pay their guys. It's even more upsetting that the MLB is set up in such a way that it helps the big market teams in big cities like New York in LA and, you know, these other big, gigantic markets, even Miami is getting some noise lately as it pertains to trade signings, that you would just sign these guys for endless money. That all, to me, is getting old. Here's what broke my heart about the Frankie Lindor deal. And with Paul Dolan and the Indians ownership group of Chris Antonetti, who I hear never loses a trade and that whole shtick that they have going on over there at the corner of Carnegie on Ontario. Here's what makes me the most upset though. You, you deal a guy away in Carlos Carrasco, who is obviously one of the blue chip pieces of your organization and has been for the last four or five years now, even as he came up through the tribe pipeline, you've seen this guy turn into a front end of the rotation, starting pitcher, one of the best on the staff, even when the staff included Corey Kluber, you know, Mike Clevenger, Trevor Bauer, Cookie Carrasco was still up there with all those guys. Then he heroically beats cancer, leukemia, after he's tragically diagnosed in the middle of the season and goes on a hiatus, signs a home team friendly discount to stick with the tribe, to stick with the team, you know, the, the city that he grew up in. We've seen Cookie Carrasco become a United States citizen in Cleveland, Ohio. And then just to turn around the tra and trade away the guy, that's not cheap ownership, that's bad ownership. That's not caring about the human beings that wear your team name, that wear your organization's name on the front of their chest day in and day out. That's really what rubbed me the wrong way about the trade. Leave everything out of it, that they're too cheap, that they could afford the house and they can't afford the furniture and that they need to sell the team and that if Dan Gilbert owned the tribe, it would all be different and Lindor would be re-signed on a $300 million deal already and we'd have our favorite player in Cleveland for the next 10 along with Corey Kluber, you know, Carlos Santana, the, the Indians that made that 2016 run so special and that gave the tribe a chance in 2017, 2018. Those cats are gone now because the owners do not care about anything except some extra change in their pockets. And the fact that they used the COVID-19 pandemic, this is a whole different side tangent. This is the last thing that I'm going to say about the topic before we move into the NBA is laughable. COVID-19 has been hard on everyone. Sports are especially. Don't get me wrong. A NFL, NBA is trying to bring on more teams, more expansion teams to coop some of the losses that they endured when they had to bubble up. The MLB without having any fans in the stadiums all summer long in a shortened season. I get it. I get that was hard. 
But for billionaires to take the stand and say, oh, well, Joe that owns Joe's Pizza in Parma can't go home from a tough day of owning his pizza shop and busting out pizzas all day to go watch his favorite players because these owners were too impacted by the virus. And not to mention Joe's family was probably some that were laid off by the Indians, you know, that worked concessions or that was a usher in the stadium. It's just sad that all it all of it played out this way. And the Indians, as a result, will probably be a very tough watch in 2021. This summer on this show, I'm willing to put a bold prediction out there that's saying that we won't talk much tribe on here because I just can't get I can't get in front of this mic and get fired up about the guy. Josh Naylor, yay, Bobby Bradley, yay, you know, Fran Mill Reyes, yay. Those guys aren't Frankie Lindor. Those guys aren't Corey Kluber. They're not Mike Trout. It's going to be hard for me to do. That's the last thing that I have to say about the Indians because huge, 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 huge four-team trade in the NBA. That's right, four teams. This is the biggest trade that we've seen in sports in quite a while since the pandemic most definitely involving the Houston Rockets, Brooklyn Nets, Cleveland Cavaliers, and Indiana Pacers. Let's just go through this list. Pardon me for looking at my computer as we do this because this bad boy is a doozy. The Brooklyn Nets walk away with James Harden. Disgruntled superstar, wanted out of Houston, was outspoken about it on Tuesday night after their loss to the Lakers. He gets his wish. He's out of there. He's a Brooklyn Net right now. Rockets, they come around with you know their pockets full. That's what they wanted to do. Four first-round pick swaps. That's their big deal. That's what they wanted, as well as three first-rounders from Brooklyn. They walked away with a first-round pick from Milwaukee in 2022. That was via the Cavs. They walk away with Victor Oladipo, Dante Axum, and Kirkchuk as well. Big haul for the Houston Rockets. Indiana Pacers get involved late in the trade. They get Karis LeVert in a second rounder. That's huge for Indiana, man. Victor Oladipo wasn't himself early this season. They've been finding ways to win games regardless. He's been injury prone during his time in Indiana. So the fact that they could pair, you know, Sabonis with Miles Turner and Karis LeVert, they walk away with a second round pick too. Exciting stuff for the Indiana Pacers. Obviously hate that the Cavs are in the same division as them. But the Cavs get involved too. That's the refreshing thing about this. As a Cavs fan, as a Clevelander, Cleveland-themed podcast that we got going on here, the Cavs are sick of mediocrity. We read those reports coming into the season that the Cavs wanted to find a way to be active, whether it meant trading Andre Drummond, whether it meant trading Kevin Love, they were going to find a way to compete no matter what. They've been bitten by the injury bug the last few weeks. Cavs walk away with Jarrett Allen and Torian Prince, two very good role players. And it seems to me as if the Cavs won this trade. After everything, after Brooklyn walks away with four first-rounders, we'll talk about that in a second. The Nets getting hardened doesn't move the needle for me that much at all because you're pairing three of the most look-at-me type of players that the NBA has to offer, three of the most problematic guys. All on the same team. All while you're losing promising role players. It's a team sport for a reason. There's a reason why there's 12 to a roster. There's five on a court at a time. You know what I mean here? 
You you lose Karis LeVert, you lose Jared Allen. Those two players were a huge part of what the Brooklyn Nets have been earlier this season, even with Kyrie and KD on the court. This thing reeks to me of the 2014 trade where the Nets acquired Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett for a boatload of draft picks that they sent right on over to the Boston Celtics. This time around, they were at least smart enough to send those picks to the Western Conference, to the Rockets, and they didn't, you know, mingle in the East, thankfully. But this trade just reeks of that, man. James Harden, ah, you guys know how I feel. I don't think he's the goods. I think he's a fraudulent, gimmicky player that could help you get to the second or third round of the playoffs. And that's it. He's not going to win an NBA championship as the best player on his own team. And now he's not the best player. So that's another adjustment. He's back with Kevin Durant. He's maybe with Kyrie Irving now. So it's definitely going to be a different role for Harden in Brooklyn. And that's the biggest joke that comes out of all of this is no one knows the status of Kyrie Irving. All while this is going on, Kyrie Irving is missing in action. He is on milk cartons all around Brooklyn. Nobody's heard from this cat. He's missed practice all week. He's missed games all week for personal reasons after attending his sister's birthday party where he was seen without wearing his mask. Guys, this trade doesn't solve Brooklyn's problems. Oh, no, because their problems are deep-rooted. They're off-the-court issues that Kyrie is missing, that they have some problematic guys. Obviously, I see the potential. I'm not trying to drag the Brooklyn Nets through the mud. I'm not trying to say, oh, the Cavs walked away with everything because they've got Jarrett Allen. Like, that's not what I'm trying to do. That's not the end-all, say-all of this trade because James Harden still is a, a very good basketball player. But to me, Houston made out okay. Cavs made out good. Pacers definitely got better. But the Nets, you're, you're kind of putting lipstick on a pig. That was this week. That was Kyrie Irving going MIA on the team that was supposed to be built around him with Kevin Durant and him joining forces in Brooklyn, now acquiring James Harden. Definitely some questions to be answered as it pertains to Brooklyn basketball. However, our Cavs, they had ne- nothing to do with this. They slid in anyways, which is always what I want to see when these type of superstar, super trades happen. That's where you find some good role players. And Kobe Altman managed to do that again. You shed Dante Exum. You shed that Bucks 2022 first round pick. I know people are like, oh, we need to hoard as many first round picks as we can. Listen, that pick is worthless. That pick is basically a second rounder now that Giannis is back in Milwaukee next year and long term. That that pick means nothing in the grand scheme of things. You traded Dante Exum and virtually a second rounder for Jared Alley and Torin, Torian Prince who are going to come in and contribute to the Cavs, not only now, but post-Andre Drummond, post-Kevin Love, which is definitely something that I guess, how do I want to say this? Not dampered the trade for me, but, but just took away some of the gusto, some of the fun that I was having that the Cavs got involved in the James Harden deal because I'm getting a little impatient. And I I guess I just wasn't that excited about Jarrett Allen because it doesn't move the needle as much as James Harden, as much as Karis LeVert moves the needle for Indiana. You know, Drummond is also going to need traded, it seems, now that you have Jarrett Allen. He's only 22 years old, guys. He's going to be the center that's in Cleveland for a very long time. Kevin Love... 
I'm like glitching out on air right now because I don't even know what to say about Kevin Love at, at this point. Kevin Love is doing as much as you and I for the Cavs at this point, except he's getting paid handsomely. He's cashing checks and he has been for several years. The Kevin Love trade is equal. To, it's it's the equal to the Dwayne Bow signing for the Brown. He's, he's not doing anything for the Cavs. And I get that he's injured right now, but the Kevin Love thing that, Ugh, ick. I can't get a true view of what my favorite basketball team looks like until Kevin Love is off of it. And I've said on these airwaves several times, and I hate that I'm sending down my sending myself down this stupid path again, that Kobe Altman and the Cavs overvalued Kevin Love, and that they need to realize that whatever Kevin Love trade takes place, the Cavs will probably walk out losers. That's just how it's going to go. You're not going to get a first-round pick plus a young, promising player. You're not getting several first-rounders for Kevin Love. If anything, you might have to incorporate young, promising players to get someone to absorb that god-awful contract. The Kevin Love trade, dare I say, ruined this Jarrett Allen Cavs fun for me today because it hasn't happened yet. Why is Kevin Love still on the Cavs? Why is Andre Drummond still here too? Obviously, guys, the Cavs were not going to win the NBA championship this year. That's big picture. Even bigger picture is they're right now, as it pertains to these next few weeks, without Colin Sexton, without Darius Garland, without KPJ due to personal reasons and injury. So whatever going is going on there is to be foreseen. They're trying to get their own draft pick to be a lottery pick this year in what should be another deep draft. Obviously, a conversation for a different day. I'm just getting impatient with the Cavs, not because of even the product on the floor, because it's a team that battles hard. And I do believe in Colin Sexton. I do believe JB Bickerstaff is the goods. It's not even the losing. It's that I can't see, I can't yet see the bigger picture. There's still this gigantic guy in the movie theater that's sitting in front of me like this with his arms out and with his neck up too high. And I can't see the picture that's unfolding on the screen. I want to see the plot as it comes unfolds. And I guess that's just the impatientness of me that I just have to sit on my hands and embrace for a little while that Kevin Love is on my basketball team until he's not. And until then, the Cavs probably won't be in the playoffs. But as is life, this was a great trade for the future of the Cavs. Anyone that says otherwise is silly. Jared Allen being 22. Torian Prince is only 26 himself. Obviously, Jared Allen, at some point, you're going to have to pay. He's a better, younger, more athletic JaVale McGee. It's going to be fun, and it's going to benefit the Cavs. Post Kevin Love, post Andre Drummond. Alrighty, though, let's get into it. It's time for the NFL Whip presented by BigPlay.com, where this week, special edition, baby, we whip around the divisional round of the NFL playoffs. Only eight teams remain, and my Cleveland Browns are one of them. We'll pick the Browns last, of course. The NFL Whip is presented by our generous hosts at BigPlay.com. Make sure to follow them on Twitter at BigPlay underscore com for live interactive sports talk shows almost every night of the week, just like this one, in the backfield with Peyton Hillis. Big Play Reflog with Chris McNeil. Always great interviews, fun segments on Big Play. Make sure to check them out. Big Play underscore com. 
We start off the divisional weekend at Lambeau Field, Green Bay, Wisconsin. You see him on the TV right up there, right over there, I should say. He's the bad, bad man. Aaron Rodgers is going to take on the LA Rams. What a gutsy win, might I add, by the the Rams with an injured Jared Goff after John Wofford, their XFL quarterback, exits the game with a neck injury. Hats off to him, hoping for the best for him, of course, and for his career, being one of the guys that were able to utilize the XFL to make that next jump. I'd be a fool to take... Uh, the Rams in this game though it was a gutsy win in super wild card weekend but uh yeah give me Aaron Rodgers give me Green Bay they were red hot I think this game will be a little bit closer than what fans expect it is the playoffs the Rams are a good team they've got a good coach there might be some rust for the Green Bay Packers so that always you have to take that into account give me the Packers though at home I'd be silly to pick against Aaron Rodgers We head to Orchard Park, where the Buffalo Bills do battle with the Baltimore Ravens. Last week, I was telling you guys that I don't want any part of the Baltimore Ravens. No, no, no. They're the hottest team in football. This, that, and the other. This is going to be a fun game this weekend. Obviously, this is who gets into the AFC Championship game, right? So, huge ramifications on the line. There is a 40% chance and increasingly going up of snow in buffalo and lamar jackson at any level throughout his career has never played in snow not only that but i think buffalo is just the better roster hands down head to foot it was good for lamar i guess to see him get the monkey off his back to go out there and to win a playoff game was important for him after he had choked in the last two years of the playoffs and just leave that ick behind him But I think it all comes full circle here that you need to be able to throw the football and you need to be able to throw the football well when it comes to the NFL postseason. I'm going to take the Bills, whether it snows, whether it doesn't, at home. And if it snows, I do think it could be ugly for Baltimore. Give me the home teams back-to-back in this one. Like I said, guys, we're picking the Browns last here it is, though, the, 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 what could be the last matchup of these two, which really brings nearly a tear to my eye, as Tampa Bay and Tom Brady's Buccaneers travel to the boot to Mercedes-Benz Superdome to battle the New Orleans Saints. I'm going to pick Tom on the road here. I'm going to pick the road team. I'm picking the Buccaneers. I, I think their offense has what it takes to battle you know, Marshawn Lattimore and the likes of the Saints D. And this could be Drew Brees' last game as a Saint, which is so crazy, so mind-boggling. What a career is really the three words that pop into my mind when I think of this game. But I'm picking Brady to surpass him. That's going to be an awesome, awesome game on Sunday night at 6:40, but you guys know why you're here the bread and the butter the act that you've all been waiting for the kansas city chiefs and the cleveland Browns. and you would be silly if you thought that i was going to bet against the cleveland browns on sunday give me the browns on the road in arrowhead stadium 
in Kansas City against the Super Bowl champions, against former MVP Patrick Mahomes, against Andy Reid, against that offense. I think the Browns could do it. I have a cigar with my name on it if slash when the Browns do do it. Boy, would that be fun. As much fun as I had in the open of this show today, that will be times 10 on next week if they beat the Chiefs. I think the recipe is out there, though. All jokes aside, it is a super tough matchup. And when you look back and look at the bigger picture, in terms of how the Browns could make the Super Bowl, or the, if that time comes, the road that the Browns would have had to take to make the Super Bowl, you had to play the Pittsburgh Steelers and leave all the storylines out there that the Steelers are big brother, that they are they have Big Ben. They've tormented us for ages, especially on Heinz Field, where Ben has never lost to the Browns. This, that, and other. Leave that storyline out of it. The Steelers at one point this season, a few weeks ago, were 11-0, undefeated, never lost. To have to go through them on the road. Then they have to go through the Kansas City Chiefs on the road, who won the Super Bowl last year. And then in a potential AFC championship game to play two super high flying powered offenses in what Buffalo Bills and the Baltimore Ravens, that would arguably be one of the toughest paths to a Super Bowl in all time in this Super Bowl era. The road is there for the Browns. And last week I sat in front of this microphone and said that the Browns were playing with house money. While that is true and it was true, you never want to waste an opportunity like this. Even though the Chiefs definitely are the more talented team. I'm not saying that. They have a few years of a head start of building their team the same way that the Browns did in a similar fashion with John Dorsey as their general manager. They've just had more time to get things done. So I'm going to go ahead and pick the Browns to defy all odds again. Because nobody thought they were going to do it last Sunday. Nobody thought outside of this city and outside of a few folks nationally that the Browns were going to be able to put on that show in Heinz Field. I think it's dangerous when you walk into the kid on the playground that's not afraid to fight. And that's these Cleveland Browns. The Cleveland Browns are the kid on the playground that doesn't care if you hit them in the face with the haymaker because they got an even bigger right hook coming your way they're not afraid to die are the cleveland browns similar to that kid on the playground that had nothing to lose and just pushed all his chips into the center of the table against the big bully and that's that's the situation for the browns this entire postseason you had the pittsburgh steelers you punched your big brother your big bully in the face and now you know you conquered your arch nemesis now it's time to slay the dragon the browns will have that opportunity on sunday and i do think They go into Arrowhead and give the Chiefs one hell of a game. Thank you guys for hanging out, though, man. What a fun hour. You guys know the drill. Win, lose, playoffs are here. The Browns are in it, and we'll be talking about it next week. Same bat time, same bat channel. Huge thanks to DugoutMugs.com. Make sure to check them out, DugoutMugs.com slash play. Huge thanks to where I'm from for the gear, as always. Super nice stuff at where I'm from. Like I said, next Wednesday, same bat time, same bat channel. Win or lose, we're doing this all again. Go live your life. Go have some fun. You deserve it. Subscribe. Padone my take. 
Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Never miss a big segment, a big interview ever again. Go hit that subscribe button. Go live your life. Go stay safe. Have some fun. Love you guys so much. Goodbye. Corvette, 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 Corvette.